0: Welcome to Mag's Mind. I'm your host, Zach Wiseman. We'll be exploring current trends in impact, work, life, and community. In the meantime, we invite you to sit back, listen in, and come sail away with us. Today, I'm joined by good friend and Managing Director of Adaptive Change Advisors, Eric Martin. Eric's also one of our founding MAG members. In this episode, Eric and I are going to be discussing life, grief, and even death, and how this can be a powerful tool in work and business. Hey, Eric. Hey,
1: Zach. It's great to be with you today.
0: Likewise, likewise. Thanks for being our first official podcast guest. I know that probably ranks pretty high in your esteemed honors list.
1: It really does, Zach. No, no <laughs> kidding aside. This is um, not 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 only is this a great topic to be talking about today with all that's going on, but I do think that Mag and the work that you've been doing, and I suppose I could say the work that we've been doing, is just a um, it's a viable and um, and and highly relevant vehicle to be bringing this kind of conversation forward. So it's, it's, a, it's a great honor. So thank you again for the opportunity.
0: But I know, Eric, in, you know, in some of our past conversations, there's this notion you've articulated to me about almost kind of the power that death and grief can hold in, in the framework of creating change. And you know, I think culturally, environmentally, we're seeing this from so many different perspectives. Right, where the climate news is is very real, been very serious for quite some time, causing yeah. a lot of questions. Obviously, we have the COVID nineteen pandemic right now. That's again causing a lot of anxiety, unknown uncertainty, literal death, anxiety about death, and you know, I think while it's a heavy conversation, I think it's something that's very real and things that people go through in various ways. Um, you know, from a company getting laid off and the loss of a job or the loss of a, mm-hmm. a, a business mm-hmm. going under or, you know, loss of way of life, which we're seeing right now. And, you know, loss of a loved one, which I've personally gone through yeah. with my mom, you know, and, and how there is, I think with all this change, like, how do we, how do we come out the other end? Okay. <laughs> how do we, How do we come together and and you know through the lens of leadership? How do we get through all of this? Yeah,
1: um, (laughs) I love that you're starting with a light topic for (laughs) this podcast. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) No, but I really—I mean, these are these are the critical and meaningful questions of our time, as you said. With you know, things that are happening in the environment right now. It's. These are the critical questions of our lives in many ways, and um, and also the, the critical questions of leadership. So, you know, where to begin? It's, it's a big question. I, let me just lay out a, a couple of thoughts and see where that might take us. Um, and I, I'll start with this question of, of leadership just because, you know, that is the point of view that I often bring to these, uh, these conversations. But I, I do want to transition that into the conversation about loss and death and and grief. So uh, when I talk about leadership, I'm talking about not just what happens in your head. It's not just about vision. It's not just about uh, providing a sense of direction and uh, clarity about who should be doing what and, and all that good stuff. That That's important to leadership, but it's just a tool. It's just a resource yeah. for leadership. <clears throat> so w- when I talk about leadership, I'm talking about you know, stuff that happens below your neck or it's stuff that happens in your heart, mm. it's in your gut, it's who you are, that sense of identity. And so I, I lead with that, Zach, because um, for this question of what is the role of the gut and the heart and this stuff that's below the neck um, in, in in leadership necessarily brings us to questions of loss. And, um, you know, one thing that we see when people who are trying to lead change that's consequential and that's meaningful, that is going to change the status quo in some way, that they immediately run into resistance. And that resistance can be outright resistance and attack. It could be subtle and um, somewhat subversive or passive aggressive, but they're going to meet some kind of wall. And one way to think about that when it happens, and this goes for people who are working in organizations as well as in your personal life, that that resistance isn't about the change per se. What it's about is a sense of loss. And people, what they're resisting is loss, having to give up something. And you mentioned some of that earlier on, uh, giving up a sense of comfort, of routine. uh, Of course, power and control get thrown in there. But even those are not sophisticated enough diagnoses uh, to understand the loss that people are averting. So we can talk more about that. But I mentioned loss uh, because uh, how we process loss has a lot to do with how we manage grief and despair and even death. And so I don't know about you, but my experience uh, growing up and, and also now getting older with family members and others who are you know, getting to the latter stages of their life is that when we don't process that grief, when we don't find a place to talk about it, that the, the grief and despair, the loss doesn't go away. It just, kind of builds up and then it eventually erupts. And what happens when we repress that grief or turn away from it in different ways is that our heart hardens. And so a hardened heart, if you take on board this notion of leadership that I just laid out, a hardened heart is not a conducive place to lead from, nor is it conducive to opening us up to life and possibilities. So we we have this lifetime of practice and shutting down sorrow and shutting down grief and stopping those feelings. And and, and in a sense, there's a certain wisdom in that because of the way that many of us, and I'm speaking here as a a white man, uh, are asked to process sorrow. And it's often doing it Mm -hmm. alone. It's often Mm -hmm. doing it in shame. And so, you know, there's maybe for some people, some listeners, there's a big leap between what it takes to lead people through change and uncertainty and this question of grief and despair and loss, but I do think they're very closely connected.
0: And something about it—it it sounds like that the hardening over time, whether through suppression or you know, if you go through a tragic event, or whether personal life, professional life—that it's almost like you're saying that hardening can have unintended consequences down the road, which could affect lots of things: relationships, again, work, uh, an openness to an inclusive environment and economy. Is that? Is that how I'm understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is, you know, it's it's still new terrain for me to be honest, but but I think that's right. It has consequences for our ability to be available for people as they go through change. And I think it comes from maybe a fear that if we enter into that despair, that grief, um, that we will wallow in it. You know, we're told just to get, get over it. Yeah, get over it. I'm reminded about, a woman that I worked with in one of my leadership workshops who, was, um, who told us a, a pretty poignant story of how about 15 years earlier she had lost her husband to cancer when she had a one-year-old child, their first child at home. And she said that, you know, many people said to her at the time, uh, they didn't say get over it, but they said, you know, you're still young. You have a whole life mm. ahead of you. Mm. And the insinuation was that she would find love again and that it was okay to move on. And what she said in this workshop to all the participants, it was a really poignant moment for the group as they were working deeper questions around their own organizational leadership. But her personal example, I think, brought this point of loss home. What she said was, uh, she said, she realized that you, you never get over the loss. You, you can't just put it behind you. Instead, she said, it becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your identity, not in a wallowing sense. But in the sense that okay, now I feel whole because I've taken this data point I've taken this experience this grief this loss into my life into my world and you know I don't know about you, but when I do that you know and I've had experiences with my dad growing up being sick and eventually dying at a young age
0: mm-hmm. but
1: when when I was allowed when I allowed myself to really be present to that grief to that loss to that despair, it wasn't a dead state it actually for me, brought me more in contact with life than many other times in my life. Uh, And so, you know, this this fear that we might wallow in it and get stuck in it, I think is, is unfounded in in some respects.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and thank you for sharing. And I agree. I mean, as, as you know, but, uh, but maybe new to many of our listeners is yes, me personally losing my mom to cancer and in a, in a similar Mm -hmm. sense. And, you know, being 28 at the time and her being extremely healthy and active and she was 60 years old and got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer was gone in four months, if four months, really three. And, mm-hmm. you know, such a all hands on deck uh, time period that you really couldn't process what was going on. But in that grief and loss, yeah, I, I mean, when you're thrust into it and you don't have the choice, you really almost, to, to your point, have to embrace it. And I think for me, what really kind of happened personally was my, it had been such a stressful time mentally and physically, but primarily mentally, right? Trying to research and understand and help and care give that then months later, my body caught up physically and then I started having Panic attacks, you know, like leg shaking, yeah. and I had never experienced that before. And after, yeah. you, know, you you feel like you're having a heart attack. And for after about three or four of these, there there was a distinct moment I remember where I could say, I, I said, I have to get a grip on this. Like this grief is either going to literally eat me alive, or I can use it as motivation. I can use it as a tool to to become part of me and frame it in the right way and use it as motivation
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, and did, but it, it does it, it, there's something about that change and the going through that process and the fear of the unknown, which I think relates to a lot of the, you know, the global issues we're seeing, there's a resistance to that, you know, and a fear of that. But then, when you're thrust into it or if you have the proper tools or you go through it at the right time you can definitely mm-hmm. come out much stronger but again yeah the number you know i had very much that same resistance that one of your colleagues had of you know people saying well you'll get over this you know and and you'll you'll go back to normal and you'll move on and i was, and i couldn't figure out for the longest time why i kept rejecting that language of move on and i realized it was because mm-hmm. You don't move on; you move forward, right? And there's a big difference. And I think you you can again see that I think in a, in a business landscape, especially when we're talking yeah. about really trying to solve big problems, like there's a lot of focus on move yeah. on, but not a lot of focus on move forward. I don't know if that kind of resonates with what you're seeing as well. <laughs> it does, yeah, yeah, and and that leap to move on to. to to, to leap to
1: action without really sitting with the moment, I think is one of, one of the mistakes we see in leadership too, not, not just in, in this personal domain. Um, there's something also, in, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier before we uh, hopped online here, about the need in, in the bigger issues that we face in life to hold both the, the hope and be optimistic about that, but also hold the reality of the moment. Right. And one way I think about this is, you know, it's it's holding the optimism, but not letting it slip into naivete. On the one hand, and on the other hand, holding the current reality, uh, but not letting it slip into despair, and
0: nihilism, or, or
1: pessimism <laughs> and right. nihilism. Right. Yeah. And it's like that with leadership work too. If I could just draw that connection, is you, you see a lot of people who, when they're leading change all they want to talk about is the bright, sunny future, the vision, the promised land. And we need to hold that space. That's really what helps us get out of bed in the morning and anchor to something that's full of purpose and light. But on the other hand, we need to have an honest conversation about the the current reality, the way things are today, which might be being in that pit of despair. Uh, And I guess conversely, some people like to talk about the current reality and everything that's wrong and how they're terrible and actually don't hold that optimistic, brighter side. So the work of leadership includes having an honest conversation with yourself as well as with your team and others about both the current reality and the aspiration and then holding those two things in a, um, and holding the tension because there's often Mm -hmm. a tension between those two things and this drive to move toward the aspiration but not spend enough time perhaps in the current moment or in the journey toward there. So holding that tension in a creative, and life-affirming way, because uh, Parker Palmer once talked about it that way, and I, that really resonates with me.
0: We feel that. I know a lot of MAG members feel that, and I know individuals all feel that. You know, in so many different ways right now. And and there's, I think, your point about tension is so spot on. Because if you work in healthcare, if you work in social impact, if you work in technology, it is. It's if you work in sustainability, it's really easy to go down those rabbit holes of despair, right? The, the, the media coverage, the reports that are coming out, you know, I think I kind of went through that over the holidays with climate change, really said, well, this is not looking good. But how do you hold that right. similar to grief and turn that into fuel? And like you're saying, right, not let it cause inaction, not let it cause preconceived notions or stereotypes or blame, and then how do you use it as fuel? But then, right, how do you then also feel like you're doing enough or you're doing your part? And and everybody defines that differently. And of course, there's can be levels of almost hypocrisy there. But if you are working in an area of change, yeah. how do you also then feel like you're sh- actually shifting the needle? Because in the grand scheme of things, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But I think what I'm hearing you say is part of that is holding that tension of, these issues are very serious, but I'm in here. I'm, I'm in the arena, the man in the arena, woman in the arena fighting. And then when you're fighting, you need some reward. <laughs> you need to know that your efforts are paying off. Is that kind of how you view that tension as well?
1: Yeah, I do think we need to see some or experience some kind of progress <clears throat> to, um, you know, if, if nothing else, just to help us hold steady. But I do think it's a delicate balance because the um, – I'm speaking from personal experience, but, but also working with people who are going through change, that, you know, even grief itself it can become a, a race. <laughs> you know, it, am I doing this well? Um, mm. you know, the, the kind of, am I the doing this fast enough? Mm-hmm. Fast enough, and yeah, am I too depressed? It, it kind of becomes another form of self-aggression in some ways, like many self-help type things do. And so, um, I'm, you know, I do think there's a natural inclination for many people, not all. To, to move on. And, and I think that lean into progress is probably more common than really allowing the grief to wash over you. And, and, I, and I think that's where I tend to, you know, at least in my work, uh, hold the attention a bit longer uh, than, mm. than might be comfortable. Because the reality is, you know, we, everything we love, we will lose. <laughs> and, right. and it may not be death in life, it could be illness. It could be the loss of a home. It could be the loss of a pet. The you know, other things yeah. that we've become a way of doing business. To.
0: Right, a way, a way of doing business. A way we used to yeah. make money. Sure, yeah.
1: A way we used to make money, a you know, value proposition we are attached to a, a client or a partner relationship that we knew how to navigate competently. You know, that loss of a sense of competence can be one of those things that we have to grieve. And and yet, in society, the only grief that is formally acknowledged is for the most part, the loss of a, you know, of a person. You know, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. for your loss, we say to people. Mm -hmm. We don't really say that when it comes to these other things in a way that has the same, I don't know, the same level of empathy. So there's a sense, I think, in corporate America and organizations that there's something missing around this process of grief. And as I mentioned, holding people through loss and pacing that loss with people is a key part of leading change. Yeah, I I don't, Zach, I I don't know what your experience has been, but I, I think that Because people have experienced so much unacknowledged, unaddressed, unhonored loss in their professional careers, that maybe sometimes that leads to these secondary um, fillers, you know, things like rank, and wealth, Mm. and professional identity, and you know, and and even things like comparative shopping. You know, these these things kind of try to take the place Mm -hmm. of the belonging in the community and the other things that really are the only things that can fill that space. You know, I don't think we can actually grieve alone. I think it, it is a community process. It's always been a community process. And only until recently has it become this individual phenomenon that we're expected to hold on our own in this bold, you know, uh, strong, independent model of leadership. So I think right. we start with, with the premise that, you know, <laughs> the change is constant. Uh, and then really develop the skill set to anticipate the change, prepare ourselves, and hold others to that, the seemingly dramatic or or the unnecessarily dramatic shifts in organizational strategy or what have you wouldn't have to be so dramatic after all. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot we can learn from everyday life. But then on the flip side, also a lot we can bring from our experience of change in the professional realm into our personal lives too.
0: Oh, couldn't agree more, and, and I think your comment about, you know, right, how does that factor into things like comparative culture or keeping up with the Joneses or focusing on finances? Yeah. Or things, it, so spot on, and I think you know we'd be remiss to not comment on the role of technology in that. You know, and that that'll be yeah. a podcast episode on its all on its own. But there is the, you know, I think professionally you see you know, you only hear about from a social media lens, you really only hear about the good stuff or the maybe really bad stuff, you know, and yeah. it is, it can create this fear that I'm falling behind or I'm, you know, not doing enough or I'm not okay. And because people aren't giving a full perspective, you know, they're giving, you know, Hey, I just got a new job, but they're not telling you that they got laid off from the previous job. You know, and they're not feeling right. to your point too, okay to be okay with. They're not feeling supported enough to be okay, not being okay. If that makes sense, and being understanding and processing yeah. that layoff yeah. and that that's part of life to some degree. And then there's a focus on great. Well, I can't wait to now, you know, share with the world that I got a new job. And we're all guilty of it. I don't think it's it's passing blame. I just think it's worth pointing that that system through social media, through technology, I think, to your point, exacerbates a lot of that too, that it creates that experience of, you know, self-absorption and and not keeping up with, with the Joneses, so to speak. You know, I, I sometimes I look back at school, for example, from elementary school to middle school to high school, and I don't know what I was doing, but I apparently was doing something right because I seemed to get a handful of awards, one including – I kid you not, The it was called the Tall Texan Scholarship. It was literally a scholarship <laughs> for being tall and, and a good person. <laughs> no, you couldn't be tall and a jerk. <laughs> but they, they I will oh, never forget sucks. this, Eric. They, I walked into the interview and they measured you literally against the wall to see how tall you were, to see if you qualified. And, you know, you just sort of think about that from a – in a school system, sports, there's an award yeah. for everything. And I think when you you sort of get out into the quote-unquote real world, it's like a free-for-all. There's less structure. There's less, you know, you're not getting a grade, and there's debates around sort of the grading system, but how do you know where you are in your own journey? Um, And I don't want to kind of get us too off topic, but I think it is related to feeling like you're a little bit adrift and then Mm. also seeing the news of, you know everything in the news covid and the environment and then maybe having professional personal grief you can see how right one would want to shut it off or ignore it or suppress it like you said before and and get cold-hearted yeah yeah um I'm tempted to ask if you got a plaque
1: of some sort for your uh, for your tall scholarship, and uh, you know. I, and I'm still waiting for my short kid scholarship. I was, you know, that was the, I was the opposite opposite for you, but
0: um, it was about a six foot four trophy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, life size. Uh, put that on the top shelf.
0: We're curious how that resonates with you. Do you feel that tension between work and life? technology and keeping up with the joneses if so let us know we want to hear from you so um
1: yeah and there's a lot of what you just said and i think you know maybe just to pick up on what i think is underlying perhaps what you just said is maybe the feeling of, of of shame you know the loss of a job um the acknowledgement for being who we really are. I mean, that, that's another form of grief There's these parts of ourselves that we lost. You know, it could be a loss of integrity, wholeness, uh, the uh, inability to move in the world as we are, not just as we need to appear to get that next job or look good on LinkedIn or what have you. Um, there's kind of this grief shame, as it were, or a grief terror experience that we have. It's rarely a pure grief experience, which again, I think is quite beautiful. Um, but, you know, we're, I mean, you mentioned COVID-19. I, I guess maybe we should touch on that because that's a, a different kind of uh, grief and loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings up kind of this loss of how things were supposed to be. You know, right. My 401k should have been X or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about you, but I've had a whole host of workshops and trainings, conferences you know, that just canceled. Right. Hopefully sure. postponed, phone, but there's no guarantee of that even. Mm-hmm. So that, that loss of a sense of, gosh, it's not supposed to be this way. Um, it was supposed to be something else. And that that requires its own form of breathing, not to mention the people who are really suffering. I have an uncle yeah. right now who's preparing to go into chemotherapy and none of us can see him in the hospital because of right. COVID-19. But right. I think one of the, you know, one of the, perhaps, I don't know, but uh, one, I think our lives are actually much more public now with this virus. You know, it's not... Unheard of, at least in my neighborhood, to be talking about the sniffles and sneezes and how are you feeling? And not even in a way where you're trying to kind of, you know, in a sneaky way find out if they're sick or not. So you should stay away because it's kind of presumed you will stay away anyway, for now at least. But it's really just an empathetic, like, wow, I hope you're not going through that. And we all kind of fear that happening to us. So this, it, it used to be, I think that we always knew what was up with our neighbors or friends you knew your neighbors mm-hmm. and uh, that's changed. You know, I think we live in a society now, many of us, at least, uh, at least here in the West and in the U S who um, don't know our neighbors. We don't, and, and worse than that, in some ways, we don't need to know them. We're not dependent mm-hmm. upon exactly. them right, for our livelihood, for our sense of community and belonging. In fact, we're probably more dependent upon the, you know, the supply chain going back into China, as we see now with what's happening with the economy, then, um, you know, than, than our neighbor. And so in in a way, I think this COVID um, phenomenon is a chance to reclaim some of that community. And, you know, and, and and I think that's going to be needed on the other side, regardless of what happens with the virus, it's needed um, for a sense of community, belonging, and, and, and whatever the next kind of, you know, crisis may be. So, Absolutely. yeah, I think that you know, when these deeply important parts of life become public, not in the sense of the whole world knowing it, but in the sense of sharing in it with others, it opens up these new forms of community. It's kind of a threshold moment, I think, for some people.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think it ties back to to your comment about if not handled properly, grief and anxiety can cause one to put up walls. And we're, I think we've been doing that, to your point, almost unknowingly with the rise of technology and right not knowing our neighbor. You know, we've been putting up those walls. Well, I've got, you know, eight thousand Facebook friends. Why do I need to know the person living next to me who could maybe save my life? <laughs> you know, but how to, if you if you I think let, I have
1: three hundred Facebook friends, Zach, so I'm always <laughs> going jealous. <to tell> <laughs> well I actually
0: <laughs> deleted Facebook, but that again, that's another conversation. But um Yeah, but the grief process, like, you know, me going through it personally, you could feel if you didn't get to a point where you felt okay to have those tough conversations, to create a space to tell someone you're not feeling okay, or in the case of what Mm -hmm. we're seeing right now, to be okay to say, I'm nervous about all of this, or this is causing me a lot of anxiety, or to have a conversation at a company and say, I'm nervous that our business may not survive this. If you suppress that, then the the consequences can vastly outweigh what you know the the maybe the uncomfortableness or the difficulty in that conversation right because you get a heart and heart or you don't face the challenge or you become you know exclusive instead of inclusive i mean that's kind of how i think to your point about what's going on with coronavirus is Mm -hmm. yeah it's really scary and it's and it's happening but we have to have the ability to still have dialogue and you know, okay for somebody to express their fears or anxiety about this, or then we begin to shut ourselves off. And then that's, I think where either in grief or in anxiety, then blame starts to come in. You know, you start to question things, point fingers. And then I'm sure in your work too, and in our work that happens in businesses too. And in work.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I think because we don't
0: work with the loss
1: and the grief, uh, and death that's present every day. We, we trudge this stuff around with us. <laughs> we take it into our workplace. I think most of the people that come now, I say most, but many people who come to me for work, you know, to work with them through change, uh, you know, have not actually done the work themselves to know how to sit with this. And, and I think the very fact that, that you feel grief means that you're still connected. It means You have not completely cut off. You're still alive. Right. And, um, and that's great news because that ache in your heart becomes a bit of a homing beacon. You know, it's, it's a way you, you learn to trust that. Um, it can, I think, guide you on that next step when you're going through uncertainty and you're not quite sure where to go. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a form of protest too against a system, uh, a world perhaps that, you know, would would prefer to see us not feel that grief. I you know, mm-hmm. for me, there's this uh, <laughs> one, I was in the, in the car the other day, uh, actually the other, a couple of years or so ago with my daughter who at the time i think was about seven years old it was just after one of the hurricanes had blown through new york here we're, we're in new jersey but it took down some of these old beautiful oak trees mm. 150 years old or so and as i'm driving down the street with my daughter in the back in the back of the back of the car uh, or just say in the back seat not the back of the car
0: she, um, <laughs> that would be I said, illegal oh.
1: mm. I, I said oh that would be illegal you could take that out of the audio here. I said to her, Oh my gosh, look, look at that. And she said, I know dad, the trees are dying. <laughs> I, thought, I, know. I didn't even get there, but it was one of those things that bothers me so much. It was so <laughs> visible to her. And you see, you know, I, some of the things that really just pierce me, you see these, I don't know if you've come across this in the news, but there are people who are creating uh, wood chips, you know, to burn in, uh so called in you know environmentally friendly um uh kind of energy production facilities and these guys will come and they'll hand a farmer a check you know say somewhere in south carolina mm-hmm. big fat check uh, and then they pull out this big uh machine the wood chipper it, it just, <laughs> the wood chipper and it it's it's going above these 200 year old oaks and, <laughs> and in of mm-hmm. 10 seconds just pulverizing it to wood chips like that mm-hmm that kind of, like, how do you do that? How do you do that? Whether or not you even love trees to see something like that happen in 10 seconds, you have to be really cut off from life and cut off mm-hmm. from an experience of grief. And, and I feel for those people, it's not that they're bad people, they're doing their job and the right. families, you know, of course, are doing what they need too. But that's where I think, you know, really being in touch with these emotions can be a form of protest and a, and a, a refusal to live numb and to live small. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it's really important that we do this work, which again is, why I'm so thrilled that you're bringing this question to the floor at the beginning of a podcast. If we have that conversation, it lays, I think a bit of a groundwork for us to be able to have other more strategic conversations around business or, you know, questions about how do you lead change even in your personal life?
0: Right. Right. No, that's a really good point. And and thank you for that story. Yeah. I I think, yeah, if, if we can't, if you're just telling everyone to move on, You know, if you, if you, if a friend lost a loved one and you just told them it'll be okay, you'll move on, you know, they're not going to react to that well. And similarly, we have to look at that from the lens of the issues we're facing from health, from the environment, from businesses, from a global economy, the message of move on, I think just really is in amongst itself, excluding a lot of people and creating also a lot of fear, you know, and there are people who are like, wait, mm-hmm. I, I don't, what do you move on? What does that mean for me? Oh, How am I going to move yeah. on? You know, and what does that look like? And yeah, by, I think, embracing that ambiguity, embracing the grief, the mourning that comes with it, and being okay with that, hopefully we're you're creating a more inclusive rebirth, if you will, where we'll be able to collectively Solve problems and challenges together, Um, but I think that brings, as we just have a few minutes left, and to that point of yeah, uh, the rebirth, the coming out the other end, okay, you know, and and I think what we're learning in in hearing your your stories and the lessons is you got to hold that space a little bit, uh, hold the ambiguity, hold some of that uncomfortableness to come out the other end a little bit stronger is. How else do we embrace rebirth and and focus on that once we feel like we've gone through the correct process? I mean, is it is it harnessing and using yeah. that to power you? Um, how do we come out the other end stronger and more united?
1: Well, I, I wish I had uh, an easier, clear answer to that. I think it's a great question, uh, and I, I guess what I would uh, what I would say on that and this. Uh, I guess I could say it very quickly by quoting one of my favorite quotes at the moment, which is that we, we never become, we're always in a process of becoming. We never become, we're always in a process of becoming. And I think in the work that I do, we talk about uh, adaptive change, as I mentioned earlier, when I introduced myself, adaptive change tends to be the kind of change that doesn't just happen in your head. It happens in your heart and your gut it's about who you are in some cases it's about norms and values all that so-called soft stuff although I think it's the (laughs) hardest stuff there is Mm -hmm. in some ways and so on that point then I think this this shift in identity right I don't know about you with the loss of your mother for me when I lost my father I became someone different not 99 percent different maybe one percent different but that one percent was big enough that I could see that i changed as a person and the same thing happened even when i had my my children i have three children now and i am not the same person i was <laughs> before i had children i, I think i'm better <laughs> we could have some. yeah right TBD. My in the back in the right. back of the car maybe she'd have a different point of view uh, you know getting married uh similar or you know so there, there are all these moments in our lives i think but we do feel some kind of qualitative shift in who we are as people. And it's, you know, in, in those cases, at least for the better, it's actually a beautiful thing. And I'm glad I'm not okay. the, you know, 17 year old I used to be. So I think maybe one to answer to your question is to tap into those moments. So we've gone through this kind of adaptive change and it could be at work as well. I mean, when an organization goes through a rebranding process, which mm-hmm. I know is a lot of the work that Mag focuses on and some of the best designers that I've met through Mag Are people who understand that that design process that branding process isn't just about the technical work of getting a new logo or whatever it may be it's really about holding a team through a process of becoming something different that's where i think this world of design and branding is so beautiful because you have a visual literally beautiful tangible product at the end of that whereas in my work you know it's a little bit more sublime uh, also powerful but find. So I think you know, one, maybe one answer is just to tap into those moments where we've gone through change, mm-hmm. and really being willing to let go of that part of ourselves, or at least a part of ourselves that we thought um, we couldn't, you know. And it's that part that maybe served a purpose to get us through a moment in life or through a particular job, um, but no longer is fit for purpose. And mm-hmm. so I think that willingness to let go and, and in a sense, become you know, have that identity shift in a way is a part of how we embrace uh, what's emerging.
0: Hmm. That's really powerful, Eric. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And right, know that you carry those experiences, those people, those changes, those things with you, you, and they become part of you and who you are, and your connection and the tie to The business side, I think, is very on point as well. You know, there's a Pablo Picasso quote that I won't get entirely correct, but it's to the effect of, you know, there is no creation without destruction, right? You're, you're, if you're creating something new, you, you are destroying something, the, the, an old website, (laughs) an old way of thinking, an old way of doing something, you know, and, and getting okay with that and knowing that that process, I think, as I'm hearing you say, lives with you and, and journeys with you. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I think like you and I, more could, thing on that of course,
1: mm-hmm. wrap up. well, and, and this is, um, I, I think perhaps one, one of the deepest griefs or fears that we hold, particularly in organizations. And I say this with the COVID crisis in mind, as people are losing jobs or fearful of that, mm-hmm. but it's a sense that we are not needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly in an economic culture where we're often reduced to a job description. It's mm. this fear that we are replaceable. And so, um, and, and this, this shows up in very obscene phrases, like you need to earn a living <laughs> rather than saying life as a gift. <laughs> you don't have to earn your life or earn your living. It's something that you're given. You didn't ask right. for it, but someone cared for you long enough for you to get to where you are. You me, and anyone who's listening to this this podcast, so I think perhaps part of the, you know, the embracing, too, is, is a sense of gentleness toward yourself, a sense that, um, of gratitude, perhaps, not in a forced way, but in a way of really appreciating that you don't have to earn your way into this. It's not about being a better griever. Mm-hmm. You know, or right. And I'll tell you, it's not even about being a better leader. Because again, that's, that's a muscle through it approach, which I think creates some of the same trauma. That uh, the causes of the problems were struck, struck me with in the first place. So I think that maybe the message I want to leave us on is this sense that um, you know that, we're, that we are, I think, fundamentally whole, and that doesn't mean life is easy. Doesn't mean that it's painless. But the whole is about embracing both that side as well as that more aspirational, you know, beautiful side too. And, mm-hmm.
0: and that, that
1: to me is probably one of the more practical things that I do, you know, in my in my work in my career. So I just wanted to share that.
0: No, that, yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. We all, we all owe ourselves a little bit of that grace and ease off some of the pressures that we all put That's on great ourselves. Day. Yeah. Right. Great. Right. If we give ourselves, if we give ourselves the grace, then we're more likely to extend it to others too. And it's, it's a really important <laughs> reminder, Eric, especially in times of uncertainty and also in times of, you know, wanting to create change and improve things that takes time. And things take step. step. And just like with, with grief, you have to be okay, not being okay. You know, I think that was some of the best advice that I got was it's okay, Zach, to not feel okay. You can't also beat yourself up for that. Or you can't be too tough on yourself because your company's changing or there's a new way of doing things, right? You need to extend that grace to not just others, but to ourselves as well.
1: That's right, and in leadership, too, and for those and I'm sure, and I would empathize for those on the you know listening to this podcast to say, "Well, all this talk about grief and loss is fine, but it has nothing to do with the hard nose, hard knock realm of politics and organizational leadership and you know uh, and, and that may be true, but I would say just try it on, and if anything else, when you have someone coming at, coming at you in a way that might feel aggressive or deceitful, you know if you come here from a place of them not having process and grief, maybe it gives you two seconds longer uh, to have a more strategic response to that. I just want to acknowledge uh, in, a, in a very honoring way, anyone who might be a bit skeptical that it, what we're talking about here has anything to do with um, with organizational life and leadership.
0: Right. And, and to your point earlier, it could be, a, it can be a common ground because we've all faced loss and grief in yeah, various forms. Point. Right. So it can that's be disarming. And I think many people see that in, losing the loss of a, you know, losing a loved one and that loss and finding a support group or community. Um, I think, you know, there's a there's an organization called the Dinner Party that organizes dinners for 20 and 30 year olds who have faced loss. And once you get into a group like that, it's very disarming. You know, you have a common connection. And I think your point to tying that to the business and leadership space as well is very Very on point. So Eric, I want to thank you so much for the conversation today. I feel like we could go on for six more hours. So (laughs) it's wonderful to have you join us and and I really appreciate the insights and you taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me, Zach.
0: Thanks for joining this episode of Mag's Mind. For more information about Mag, our community and our work, please visit magcollective.com. M-A-G collective.com. Thanks for listening. And until then...